Dunn spun away, looking, shooting! Dunn with a goal! Well done by Are back. It is episode 50. This is Diaspora United. I, of course, am Andre Carlisle, one of the hosts here on this here podcast. If it's your first episode, welcome. If you've been with us through all now 50, that's Good ridiculous. Lord. This is our 50th episode. And also, if you're listening to us like on the day that it drops, that's also our anniversary. Last year, January 20, 20th, was the posting of our very first episode. Can I believe it? My mind was blown because I was like, oh, our anniversary is coming up. I did not know it would be a full one year to the date. To the date. It is ridiculous. But I'm Andre Carlisle and I'm here with Courtney Stith. Courtney, how are you doing? I'm good. Trying to thrive. (laughs) Not being necessarily super successful at it. But, you know, we're here (laughs) and we are pushing along. I love that energy for the intro of the 50th episode, <laughs> trying to thrive, pushing along. So what we're going to do. We're carrying that energy uh, all throughout the year. God, this pandemic needs to end, y'all. We're struggling. Um, all right. So uh, we got a little something fun uh, scheduled for you guys today for this episode. We asked for your questions and y'all delivered. So we're going to have an all questions episode. But before we do that, we're going to keep doing what we do. And that's read a pod review off the top. This one is funny. Uh, we pulled this one out kind of a, a bit. We have a bit of a backlog that we haven't read. This was when people were trying to get us to commentate on NWSL matches, which, you know, still interested. Might might end up doing something like that. It probably won't be legal proof because I bet you they hate us. But that's all right. <laughs> I was like, love that for you, not for me. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. We need the crew. We need the crew. We need everybody doing it. We need to bring Shea Butter in here. It needs to be all four of us because it would be hilarious. Like this this review says, basically, do it. That's a direction. Basically, that's a directive. You got to listen to it. The review is from Old Forest. Old with an E. Little old English spelling. I'm fine with it. I dig it. Review says, I already reviewed this podcast, but have just come back to say I'm totally here for commentating every quote unquote great ball and inarticulate noise of it. Keep up the great work. There will be plenty of inarticulate noises if we ever do this. This this uh, review made me laugh really hard because I feel like recently when I've been watching games, I've just had a significantly more inarticulate noises every time <laughs> I watch than normal. I mean, things have been a little crazy. I've been watching a lot of Serie A, and I feel like, honestly, since its inception of the season, it's been like, no defense, all vibes. It's just been bonkers, and so I feel like I've just been making a lot of inarticulate noises. Yeah, I'll keep it real with y'all. I know I said this before, but basically, that's how I watch games. I mean, if I if y'all want analysis, I need to get you on a rewatch, like the replay of the match, so that I can so I can already be like, all right, I know what I'm gonna look for. I know what I'm going like. I've already seen what's going on, so then I can kind of break it down more. But what I'm watching, this is why I'm so obsessive with watching the watching the game because there's almost like 
every single game has something wild in it or something that I really like or something that impresses me, the pass, a dribble, nutmeg or anything like that. It's always something extremely dope. And I always end up being amazed. And that comes out in weird ways. I may make up a cuss word. I may just, you know, <laughs> say a few in a row. Uh, you know, you never know. Like, it's just one of those things that I just I just love the sport. I just make all kind of weird noises when I watch because it, I don't know, it just does that to me. Honestly, I feel that. I normally say a lot of, what are you doing? Literally, why are you like this? Uh, depending on how my team is doing. Or I'll be like, mm, someone just got cooked real bad. So, so speaking of people getting cooked, so do you have this reaction? Because I have, I have this reaction a lot too. Like when, when, like I don't necessarily ask, like, what are you doing? But I will laugh if somebody does something really goofy or messes up. <laughs> but like when something like really dope happens, like remember that move uh, Tobin Heath had when we were playing? Uh, was that South Korea? And she did a little shake, and the, and the player <laughs> fell backwards. I just laughed, like I just laughed hard. I just like bellowed i was just cracking up and that happens like often i'll just see something funny or something happen and i'm just like i'll just laugh like that ain't really the right reaction but it's the right reaction <laughs> i i'll only do that if like something to me like truly comical happens but also if i like <laughs> see something like good happening so for example uh today when on bunny shaw's first goal Ooh. for Manchester city when she like i'll call it a chiquita banana <laughs> because it's a small banana it's not a full banana but for those who don't know I'll, actually, I'll i don't even know it. if this is the official terminology but this is what my older brother told me and he knows a lot about soccer um is when you basically when you hit the ball around like one let's say one person's left side and then you run around their right mm-hmm. it like is like it's something called a banana <laughs> don't ask me to explain why but this is what i was told and but she did that but normally when like players do that it's like a a long amount of space that they're running but since she was already in the box it was just like very small so i call it a chiquita banana but for example when i see something like that i'm like oh like, <laughs> <laughs> which is normally what i do if like there's a very nice skill or something or like a cheeky nutmeg i'll be like oh <laughs> and that's one of my several in articulate noises I like that one. Yeah, when I saw that, I actually laughed. When I when I saw that Bunny Shaw move, and by the way, Bunny Shaw is back. If you didn't see, two goals today, got herself a brace, and uh, I don't think Ellen White taught her any of that. I, I think she knew how to do that all on her Gareth own. Taylor, he is fully <laughs> convinced that it's all Ellen White's influence. Not that Bunny Shaw was the had the golden boot of no. doing our camera last season, but it's no. Ellen White. Yeah, absolutely, Ellen White being that good influence, that leader. You know what they say, leader on the team, goggles, all that, whatever. Anyway, we ain't going to get into that this this episode. We are going to do 15 questions for our 50th episode. That was a Courtney Stith exclusive. I didn't have anything to do with the production of this, so thank you, Courtney, because I ain't know what we was going to talk about today. It's, in, it's a weird time of the year. NWSL is like simmering kind of at the moment. It's not like, Floundering? you know, draft blockbuster what is going on <laughs> but it's like there are things happening but it's also like there's something going on below the surface yeah this also i have literally no insider information i just like sometimes you get a vibe and that's the vibe but players in europe are playing there's a january camp coming up there are friendlies the asian cup is about to start happening yeah yeah which is uh which I know we're going to be watching so we can see Mary Fowler continue balling out. Uh, there, There's just a lot of things happening. So yeah, we're doing 15 questions for 50 episodes. 
spoiler alert, there's more than 15 because we have some follow-ups. But, you know, we're trying our best. <laughs> we are trying our best. <laughs> so for the first question, kicking it off, Andre. I'm ready. Is Rocco alive? I hope not. Put it that way. <laughs> I hope not. Rocco on my nerves. And to be honest, I got beef with Rocco, but I don't have nearly as much beef with Rocco as I got with Zoe. Zoe knows what she's doing to Elmo. She's gaslighting the mess out of that man. Acting like a rock can eat a cookie. Acting like a rock can go to the bathroom. Like, I was just like, I was, I'm here, I'm in Elmo's corner. He's over here staring at the camera like, can, can y'all, y'all see what she's doing to me? I feel you, Elmo. I see exactly what's going on here. And I don't know how we're going to take care of it, but we're going to take care of it. Oh, God, I just had to mute myself a little bit so I could scream. <laughs> I've been waiting to talk about this for a minute. I've been so mad at Zoe, like, every single time. I hate Rocco had to go to the potty. Like, don't stop playing games. Like, what is she doing? She's got Elmo just in hell, and I'm, and I'm mad about it on his behalf. Honestly, Elmo has, I mean, I loved Elmo as a child. That's most kids do. Sesame Street is really important programming for kids. Uh, you know, loved Elmo out of the face, but watching these clips of Elmo come back are so deeply funny. And I also learned that, <laughs> like, basically the story behind why we now also like, or by we, I mean people enjoying themselves on Twitter, like love Elmo and learning that like uh, Elmo was voiced by a black man. It was great. And the funny thing was, Andre, we were talking about this in pre-production, uh, but I was like before Elmo blew up on Twitter. I was just, like, scrolling on TikTok, and I literally see this black girl go something, something, Elmo is a black man, and I was like, what is the context of this? Like, I hadn't caught on to people who were talking about Elmo, and I just, like, giggled and, like, kept it moving, um, but yes, Elmo is uh, a black child. He is a character, <laughs> Elmo, so she's, I think, three, three and a half years old, uh, but yeah, it's just been a joy seeing Sassy Elmo looks to the cameras when he, uh, decided to kick Jimmy Fallon off Sesame Street, but still invite the roots. Um, him Sam balsamic vinegar. Um, <laughs> Yo, which... <that> balsamic vinegar <laughs> killed me. I was like, Elmo was from the Bronx. It is, it's a great time. Really enjoyed it. What I have not been enjoying though with Elmo is uh, Elmo on SNL. The SNL Oof. skit for Weekend Update. It was not funny mm. for several reasons. And it was like, we can tell which unseasoned person on the cast has uh who wrote this skit because i guarantee you it was definitely not uh the people of color who are generally <laughs> lifting the show in general uh, uh but yeah. yeah it was not funny they could have made it funny like they could have dressed someone someone up as rocco and told rocco's side of the story a la bo and yang dressing up as uh the iceberg from the titanic uh, but they did not, and it was not funny, you know. So honestly, kind of got dark a little bit, and I was like, the funny part of Elmo is that Elmo is a child, or supposed to be a child, and kids are funny, naturally. No filters, the looks. I don't know what adult would tell another child, your pet rock is not alive. That is <laughs> fundamentally hilarious. <laughs> but there are reasons why it's hilarious, so yeah. SNL doing uh, that Elmo sketch, honestly, was, it was not it. SNL has such, like, a stature among TV, like, and, and it's birthed so many, like, really good comedians. But for me, the problem is, like, they haven't kept up with it. And obviously, it's, it's a show that's on once a week, and it's on Saturday. So, like, the entire week, 
we've gone like we've gone through an internet cycle. All the Twitter jokes have been made, so it's hard for if they don't like improve something, then it really falls flat because it's like nah. Like I know a bunch of like random Twitter strangers who just absolutely have me in stitches, and they did it for free. So like y'all gonna have to do a whole lot better if you want to like tag on to this joke days later. I mean, one hundred percent. And I will say fundamentally, and I've actually. I have read a book about SNL and talked about it uh, in college. But the funny part about SNL, and then we will move on because we're not talking about soccer. But the funny part about SNL historically has been punching up, not punching down. And I feel like making a skit about Elmo is punching down, which is why I just like, was, no one was like, hmm. It's like, I'm, no, no. So yeah. Anyway, moving on. Andre, as our resident spear reporter, there's been a lot going on. For those of you who don't, no, basically for the entirety, I really feel like this has kind of spanned the entirety of the past NWSL, se- NWSL season. Um, Michelle Kang has been, you know, basically trying to buy the spirit of her ownership stake right now. It's at 35%, or at least currently it's at 35%. Not really sure if there's been necessarily been any movement on that. But if, I mean, I'm very jealous if you've been under rock, but most people know about Steve Baldwin trying to sell uh, the team specifically now instead of taking up Michelle Kang's offer of an extra $10 million, $10 million of her offer being $35 million. He is trying to sell to Todd Bowley and, a, and another um, ownership group. We learned, I want to say relatively soon after the new year, um, that Todd Bowley actually withdrew from negotiations to buy a controlling interest in the spirit, uh, which was Honestly, really, really big drama because right before we learned about this, um, let's say a twist in the, I don't want to call it a twist in the because this is actually quite serious, but um, Michelle Kang, according to sources as reported by The Athletic, Michelle Kang now has a majority voting interest in the club. And she, the way she did it is a little complicated. You can go Google it and read up on it because I don't necessarily feel like super getting into it here. But so we learned Top Bully reportedly was backing out of the deal we also learned that uh, according to sources michelle kang has now controlling interests uh of the club i saw reported that it was up to 51 percent or sorry 51 percent of the club and then we learned there is this thing going on with the nwsl uh, board of governors meeting where both michelle kang and steve baldwin are there pre- presenting i would love to see those powerpoints um but basically it's just been uh it has not looked good for the Washington Spirit, nor the league. So, Andre, after my long preamble, how are you feeling about this situation? Oh, how am I feeling personally? Personally, I'm just fed up and frustrated with it. I don't think it should have taken this long. Kang has already been an owner, is an owner of the team already. I would kind of understand if she was somebody coming from the outside and they weren't really sure. Obviously, I still think that level of investment is something that if you're an owner, it raises the valuation of all the franchises. Um, it is something that is that you actually would want if you're making business decisions. Um, so I don't necessarily understand. Well, I do understand what's going on, but it's frustrating that it's going on because to me, this is about making simple decisions to show people that you're better. And it just so happens that this simple decision also has big benefits for them you know, the rest of the NWSL owners. And I've been supremely disappointed in Marla Messing. I don't know exactly how much power she has, what mechanisms she has. 
but it seems quite clear that she's been unwilling or ineffective, either or, to get this situation resolved in a way that makes sense. The We have never seen an entire team come out against their ownership, against Steve Baldwin, the way that the Spirit have. I urge everybody to go back and read that full statement. You can see Andy Sullivan doesn't tweet a lot. Tegan McGrady, when she was here, uh, now with the Wabe, uh, when she was here, though, she posted it as well. You can go check her Twitter account and read that entire statement. It is one of the most intense and pointed statements that I have read coming from players to their own ownership. And it's because of the abuses that 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 team, members of that team, and former members of that team, again, no Kai erasure here, um, that have felt. And because of that, and it was all enabled, wasn't just Rick, Richie Burke. I made this point on Twitter. It wasn't just Richie Burke that was abusing players, although his abuse is more than enough. But it was also a report about Larry Best being racist towards players. It was also the report of Tom Torres and Kaya McCullough saying, uh, letting us know why he was, quote unquote, let go for sexually harassing players after the Challenge Cup. Um, so it wasn't just one person. This was systemic. This was a, basically front office wide. And the players deserve to be heard in this. And for some reason, their voices are not enough for the other NWSL, NWSL owners. Their voices are not enough for Marla Messing. And that has me real, real frustrated. Yeah. And I also wanted to, uh, to clarify for a second. So with this Board of Governors meeting, it was, it's was it been uh, reported by Stephen Goff of the Washington Post. Um, that basically, the point of that, not saying the point of that meeting, but both Baldwin and Kang were, are supposed to speak. Baldwin is basically trying to convince everyone that what Kang is doing is legal. And I'm assuming Kang is keeping the same tone that she's been having this entire time that she cares about the team. Like she basically released a statement as well, uh, or not, sorry, she didn't release a statement. She had sent a letter to the NWSL's Board of Governors. And then that letter was given to reporters by the or reporters of the Washington Post, uh, specifically Molly Hensley Clancy, which she then tweeted out. So we've all read it. Um, and Kang is kind of kept with the same tone of, really loving this team, uh, having like a very, very deep commitment, wanting to basically continue pledging money to the team. Like in this letter, she says that she has, um, she shared details of her plans to further invest another 25 million in team facilities, infrastructure for both sports and business operations and support for the players. For what a lot of these teams started with, like talking about 2013 NWSL to have an owner come out i will say like this no matter who you agree like this quite simply is unfortunately like controversy around the league like no matter um who you agree with like it's quite simple like having this around the league like ownership struggles like battles draw like all this doesn't look quite simply doesn't look good for the league and doesn't look good for the spirit you want to know what would look good for the league of the spirit having an owner come in and being like I'm putting another $25 million into this team and giving the, and I know we're actually going to hit on this point later, later, but giving these athletes the support, probably the pay, let's hope, uh, the support, the pay, the infrastructure, the facilities that they deserve as professional athletes. And so, yeah, like watching this almost, like watching this from the outside, like it is, it's like 
the longer it goes on, the worse and worse it gets, especially for the players. Like the players came out. And I mean, that was something that was really, really striking to me when they released that statement saying like, and boldly telling Steve Baldwin, sell the team to Michelle Kang. Like sell, just quite simply sell it to her. And they so said the, fact that- the, the person that we trust is Michelle. I keep going back to that line. The person that we, given what they went through and why they're demanding that, that he sell the team in the first place, the person that we trust is Michelle. To me, that line outweighs everything else, everything else. And I'm so annoyed that the Board of Governors are trying to put Kang and Baldwin on like even footing and saying, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to listen to presentations from both of you. Why does Michelle Kang have to present anything to you? Why are you even listening to Steve Baldwin? You know what he did. You know what he tried to cover up best? Uh, uh, Bald, uh, um, Baldwin, <laughs> sorry, Best, Burke, and Torres were all initially let go with pats on the back. And they weren't going to mention, remember the health concerns? Remember, they didn't even say anything about Tom Torres until players spoke up, till Kaya spoke up. Like, this is one of those things where we, this is a dude who's clearly been putting people and enabling and empowering people to be abusive toward the players and then letting them go with just pats on the back. And like, that is such a gross culture, such a gross abuse of power and money. And to act like, given everything that happened in this past season, not even talking about the spirit winning the championship, talking about investigations dropping one after another, talking about players protesting the NWSLPA having to make demands, players protesting in the sixth minute and stopping uh, their play, like everything, all of these things. And for some reason, they're still listening to Steve Baldwin. They're still wanting him to control the sale of this team. I, like, I'm just like, if, if the league wanted any, if you want to, if they wanted any little bit of grace, for, okay, we know we've messed up. We have a lot of things to change. We're going to get started, we promise. Because that's what they said when they agreed to the NWSLPA's demands. All that grace is gone. For me, all that grace is gone. Like, this is an easy decision. This is something simple. Look, Kang has an offer on the table. It is $10 million more. The player said, the, the person we trust is Michelle. Case closed. Sell the team to her. Get her in here. But the owners don't want her because of how she came in. They have all these issues with the way she came in and they're all, I guarantee you, they're all looking at it and say, oh, if it can happen like that to, to Steve Baldwin, maybe it can happen to us. And my response is, don't be Steve Baldwin and it, does, and it won't have to. <laughs> like the reason this is happening is not because Kang just decided to do some, you know, what, um, kind of like girl boss takeover, right? That's what they're worried about. A woman coming in and taking her stuff because she connects better with the players because they're women. All of that nonsense. It's not about that. It's about what the players went through and Kang represented and wants to help the team. And obviously she wants an investment as well because that's part of owning a team. But she's also made Plinton absolutely, you can't have questions about how she wants to invest in the team. $10 million offer above what they were having and she's already pledged to, to put more money into the team, like Courtney said. Like, this is the easiest decision you should have to make. And they're refusing to make it. Yeah, and honestly, to me, this is like, I think over the past year, especially with all that's going on in the NWSL, we've like, I don't know, I feel like everything that's come about, we've been like, oh, this is a breaking point. Oh, this is a breaking point. Oh, this is an inflection point. All these things. But honestly, to me, this is almost the largest, and this is not to discount that everything else that we've heard about the league um and like 
teams with players and abuse and all these things. But to me, this is the like the largest breaking or inflection point for the league because right now, right, all of this, all of I don't like all of these, all this terrible, terrible abuse has come to light. And the league said, okay, we're going, we're we are going to do something about it. We're going to do better. But to me, this is the greatest litmus test of will like are you actually going to do it are you going to actually like listen to the players are you going to do basically like (laughs) are you also it's kind of like almost uh i don't necessarily want to say it but it's also like are you going to commit to the future of like having a a top tier women's professional league in this country like nwsl and i know like we are on twitter and twitter is definitely like not always real life but like a lot of people were are really fed up with the NWSL, like as as a whole as an entity, because you keep hearing these stories of abuse come to light and all of these terrible things happening over and over again. And you have and you have a the opportunity to actually stand in as a league, being like, "Hello, we are we are a league here." Like it's, I mean, really, if you want to be as powerful, let's say, as like, like if you want to say, like, it is, we have the final say on something. This is the opportunity to do that and set the standard and actually like make solid concrete change and if they don't do that i personally i don't like i don't know if people are gonna really like want to come back like they're already mad about a a whole bunch of like all the other stuff that's going on and then with this on top of it i don't know like it it really brings up a lot of questions of you right now you have the golden opportunity to try to like right your wrongs get on the, the get on the path to improving but it's like we don't know if they're like we're not the nwsl board of governors we don't know if that's gonna happen yeah that my my biggest worry my biggest worry with them is that they don't understand how important this decision is it shouldn't even be a decision but because they made it one it really concerns me that they don't understand what this decision means if this goes baldwin's way and todd bully becomes the owner of the spirit or Baldwin's allowed to sell it to whoever he wants that's not Michelle Kang. I, I just don't, I really don't know. I really don't know. Like, I, I mean, truly, because it's also like you are, you are still letting the ghosts of your past dictate your future when you could find a way to stop doing that. Right. But it's like... <laughs> and a way to we stop doing that just showed up with a bunch of money that will raise the valuation for everybody in the league. And they're like... And if really want this, I mean, and also like we've seen this, like this kind of rhetoric and messaging of the league of like empowering women, girl bosses, and I don't mean in like the like I mean in the not good girl boss, girl boss way, like girl boss feminism. Like they love talking about that, and so having like a a super like a super successful, very rich, like very very rich owner come in and be like i want to make things better it's like it does not fall right in line with the messaging that that you've been preaching if they were sincere it sure would like hello all right andre are you okay to move on oh yeah Is there anything else you want to yes, add please yeah we we got to get through these questions and uh my, my bad i've been uh i've been quiet for a while y'all so my bad if i'm rambling honestly i'm probably rambling too we haven't talked in a while uh so just Shooting on, you know, I'm going to jump around a little bit because we're going to talk about a little bit about player movement, things like that. And this is a question leading to more questions. If you're going to bring 
any non-NWSL player to the team of your choice, who would it be and where are they going? And this is also assuming like they're getting paid well, they want to come, all the good things. Like this is just like, we're going to have fun with some transfers. Oh my goodness. I was so not ready for this question. (laughs) Funny on your toes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. My brain is going about a thousand miles per hour right now. Um, you know what I'm tempted to say, if I'm honest, and it's, it's bringing a player to the NWSL. Who you bring in? I, I, I might, I might bring cat. I might bring cat. I think how it'd be so fun in the NWSL. I think just the the space that she would find the move, her movement is ridiculous. I, I might bring Cat, but I feel like that's like a that's a very like U.S. based you know thing. So I'm also gonna I'm I'm also gonna throw out Bunny Shaw. Um, Wait, but what what team are you bringing? Oh, what team on Cat? Oh my goodness. Um, you know what? I think Cat. Um, man, put Cat on the rain. Like just 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 do the OL thing. Just have her go <laughs> go to OL. I mean, Rosa Bell and Cat Macario. Are you kidding me oh right now? Like yeah, that like yeah, I really want that. Um, but I'm also gonna say Bunny Shaw because I want to see Bunny Shaw in the NWSL. We we talked last season about basically we didn't we there were like a a lack of pure goal scorers, right? Strikers, you know, Ashley Hatch won the Golden Boot with just ten goals. Um, Midge probably would have gotten um, very close, or Efi would have gotten very close or gotten the um, the boot the Golden Boot if uh, if they played enough games, or if Efi would have started from the beginning, or if Midge wouldn't have been injured. Um, so like there were a few players who were quite close to that 10 and I just feel like a player like Bunny Shaw, I'm very interested to see how many goals she could rack up. I almost said something super inappropriate. (laughs) (laughs) We bet she'd tear that booty up. Yes, correct. And on, as far as the team, honestly, any team, because every single team needs a goal scorer. Like I almost like I don't. We're gonna talk about them in a little bit, but I almost like I feel bad for Sid Larue if she stays in Orlando. Like she needs a strike partner. So like Sid Larue and Bunny Shaw would be dope. Ooh, like there oh, are so God. many. Yeah, like they're they're every team, every team. I mean, you can put Bunny Shaw on any team, and I think she would be amazing. Maybe maybe the new uh, KC, the KC Courage. The new KC. Oh <laughs> yes, the the KC Courage. I've heard that one before. That's a good one. I think for me. Honestly, this might be the cheap answer, but there are two players that I'd want to bring. Uh, I'd want to bring Alexia Pateas. Definitely. And uh, put her on Gotham. This is selfishly so I can watch her more. (laughs) Like, pure, like, not even tactical reasons. (laughs) Selfishly. So I could be like, once every two weeks, when that schedule eventually comes out, if so, once every two weeks, I get to sit in a press box. Watch Alexia Puteas up close. Mm, yeah, that'd be nice. Like that is like that's just uh I would I quite simply would love that. Um another player who I actually think would work really, really well in the NWSL is Fran Kirby. You know what's like, funny? I actually had her in my mind because Fran is so quick. Her acceleration is absurd. It would be it would be an it would be a really interesting fit. Well it's not it's like she's so quick. But also, like, thinking about how good she is, her strike partnership with Sam Kerr, of bringing something like that to the NWSL, because we know that the NWSL is, for the most part, a very transitional league in terms of play. Like, so just being able to see, like, Fran hit balls off the counter or something like that just seems just like a lot of fun. And it'd be fun if to see like, her paired with, like, 
someone like Lynn Williams, maybe for Kansas City, or like Ooh. a midge in an EFI. Like if you have that trio of yeah. just like, because I'm thinking of players who are just like, can be so like so quick and so good on the counter. Um, but also thinking maybe like a Nichelle Prince. Like, I don't know. They're, I mean, look, these players are international superstars. They can, like, teams will make them fit anywhere. But I think, I don't know, maybe a Houston for a little bit could be fun with Michelle Prince. Um, or a little bit with Gotham, a little bit with Kansas City. Uh, there, there are a lot of good options. It could be a lot of fun. I dig it. I can see it. I can see it. All right. So now we're going to talk about the players. So, Andre, my question for you. And this is, like, in and out of the NWSL. It's, like, based in the NWSL, but we have opportunities to maybe talk about a few other things. Uh, Andre, for you, what has been the most perplexing off-season move? This may seem like recency bias a bit, and honestly, there are a lot of moves that I straight up forgot happened because it's just been a I mean, between, you know, college drafts, all the trades that have happened, expansion drafts and all of that business. Like, I'm going to need a refresher on who plays where. But to me, the most perplexing move is Taylor Korniak going to San Diego because what it seems like, we heard this when... um. Becky Burley was the interim coach at Orlando Pride uh, that Taylor Korniak thinks, and I guess still thinks, I was going to say thought, but thinks, still thinks that she is a midfielder, that she's a six, like a deeper midfielder than like, say, a central attacking midfielder, like almost like a 10, somebody you can just kind of stand the ball up to and she directs it on uh, because she's about nine feet tall. Uh, but she thinks, no height jokes. Uh, but she, she, she thinks, uh, <laughs> no, no questions about height guys. Yeah, none. No questions in tw- we left those sorry. in 2021 y'all. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, I, and it seems like with, with San in San Diego, isn't done building their, building their roster clearly. Uh, but they don't really have midfielders and I don't really know how this Casey Stoney system is going to work. I'm sure they will find something, but Taylor Korniak going and it looking like from roster construction as it is today, looking like they might even try to get her to turn her into an actual midfielder and let her play the six or eight, whichever one she wants. Honestly, I believe she wants to play more of the six. I just don't see that working. I mean, they tried it in Orlando and it did not go well. So I like that one confuses me like to, to, I don't know if she's just going to be a backup option or what, but like uh, that, I don't get that. If she's playing, if they, if they start their season and she's at the six, I am worried. Yeah. It's, I mean, the a lot of the jokes right now are like what what formation are they gonna play like five defenders and five forwards uh like no midfield (laughs) right so so yeah it is i'm very curious to i mean i'm curious about a lot of these teams but yeah that that or that midfield and also i think it would also be different if like she was the cornerstone of orlando's midfield and then like San Diego was like, of course, we're going to go get like this really solid midfielder in the league. And not saying that like Taylor Korniak cannot be that, but we haven't necessarily really seen her in that role. Like try a little before Orlando didn't really work. Like, I don't know. It's, uh, it's very, very interesting for me. Um, but my most perplexing off season move, it's like kind of perplexing. I kind of get it. Um, but it's, I think for me, it's going to be like Sam and Lynn to Kansas City. It was just like something I was <laughs> really wasn't ex- expecting. And also, I don't know, it's 
funny to me because I think over the last season we talked about Kansas City and that they really had all the right parts, but like they just weren't really functioning together. And maybe they needed like I don't know, like I don't know. And I to be fair, I'm mostly thinking of like Kansas City like post that midseason trade of what was it Roland Speck or no sorry three players from North Carolina. I know Roland was one of them, and Roland has now come back to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, just that mid that midseason trade was like kind of confusing it was also just like if uh, the middle of the season when is this trade window open and closed for the nwsl no one knows um (laughs) so yeah sam and lynn going to kansas city also because the funny part about that is i feel like the entire like when we knew the expansion drafts were gonna happen we're like oh what's north carolina gonna do like they have sam they have lynn they can't protect both of them and so the fact that also that both of them have now left north carolina and to me it's with jess mcdonald also going racing Louisville it's like really kind of like truly the end of an era of North Carolina just like that rock solid spine just like dominating over and over not saying that they can't do it again but like yeah both of them going uh to Kansas City was just really surprising to me yeah that was a little surprise I'm surprised they ended up at the same spot and I'm actually surprised that Lynn ended up moving as well because I thought it was going to be one or the other and they knew that they weren't going to be able to keep both and so Sam Mewis going to Casey, I was like, okay, well, that must mean Lynn is staying. And nope, sure isn't. So that's going to be very interesting. Plus, like you said, they got uh, Haley Mace and Kristen Hamilton in that in the midseason trade with the with the Courage as well. So like they got four Courage players there, which is just like, I, and we're starters too. So this is just like, it's it's kind of wild to me uh, what was going on there. Well, Haley Mace kind of started, kind of didn't, but still um, quite quite an interesting move by them. I'm kind of intrigued by what Casey's up to. Yeah, me too. Um, and on the flip side, the most interesting off-season move, uh, maybe interesting is not the right word, but, you know, the most intriguing, I don't know, I'm just saying a bunch of synonyms. For me, it's Caroline to North Carolina. Ooh, yeah, that's good. I am so deeply, I'm so deeply excited about this one because Caroline is a baller, like, balls out with the national team. Balls out when she was playing um for Madrid BFF, not Real Madrid. It's another Madrid-based women's soccer team in uh Primera Iberdrola. But besides the point, her playing like her playing with Zabinia year round is going to do like it's going to be crazy for a lot of reasons. One, I don't think people are ready. I don't think people really watch the Brazilian national team that much. They're like, who is this person? When I saw that news drop, I was literally like. <laughs> My my tweet was literally me being like, oh, like unintelligible, unintelligible sounds while trying to say, oh my gosh, <laughs> at the same time, like her playing, like her and Davinia go eat people up in this next season. Like once, obviously it's going to take some time to get settled, all those things. But once that settling happens between her and also like Pinto and then Jory and Balcom, yeah. bruh, look. Yeah. I don't want to say North Carolina is back because I know I just said like <laughs> the ending of that dynasty, but look, something new is happening and I just want y'all to be prepared for it. <laughs> Definitely here for that, here for that. And I kind of like, I kind of like the Brazilians being, uh, they're, they're kind of moving on. I think Arsenal just signed Rafaela uh, as well. So like the Brazilians are coming, they're getting, they're getting around, getting to some, some big clubs. I love it. That's what we need more and more to showcase what's been going on down in Brazil. So, like, I really appreciate you. We heard Marta in the 2019 World Cup. She said, hey, it can't just be me. And this is dope. So I want to see more. Andre, what's your most interesting off-season move? Oh, for me, it's so easy. 
It is Mia Fischel going to Liga Emekis. Feminil over Orlando was drafted by the Pride, decided to say, hmm, I still got options. This looked around her options and said, I'm going to Tigres, which actually hurt my heart as a Chivas fan. It hurt my heart a little bit, but I understand the move. Tigres are a very good team, just, just scary as hell to play. Uh, actually, they just played Chivas, and I can't believe it. we got a 1-1 draw out of that. Probably shouldn't have, but uh, it's all good because that's some, sometimes you just you survive. Suffering has become a big thing in soccer these days, particularly for my teams, so that was more more suffering for me. But, yeah, this is an awesome, awesome move by me official. It's like keeping your options all the way open, controlling your career, you know, making a move from to the to the league in Mexico, like that is so 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 dope for me. I love that, and I love that the, we we've been asking for the NWSL. Pay attention to this league. Pay attention to League MX fem, 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 Feminil. There are so many good players there. I know there's some more promotion of the league that you can do there. I know there are some players that you want to see if they can come over playing the NWSL. There needs to be more, you know. Uh, teams match. I know Houston Dash played against Tigres as well. Like we need more of those, you know, matches, you know, whether they're preseason or whether they're just like midseason tournaments like we had before, like to keep teams sharp during uh, during some international breaks or whatever it is. Like I think this is we, we needed to see more. And I love the fact that they said, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Y'all, y'all don't have to pay attention to us. We gonna go get one of your top players and bring her here. So dope on so many levels. Under a follow-up question for you, because I'm curious to know what you think. What do you think this move means for the NWSL when it comes to, let's say, college talent? Maybe for like actually, kind of what we saw with Cat, right? Knowing she could go play abroad, um, you know, and also play like in potentially better facilities for I can say for better pay, um, yeah. <laughs> because we know that the NWSL minimum salary is like less than thirty thousand dollars still. So, um. What do you think this move means for the NFL? Like, do you think it'll maybe be a signal shift of college players now going and thinking, hey, like, I don't have to go and live with four roommates and, like, work 17 different side hustles to be able to, like, make it as a professional soccer player? Yeah, you know what I think this means? Uh, well, I'll start off from from kind of the beginning and where I think it's how I think college players, college athletes are finally and this has been like decades in the making, understanding their value. And I know these uh, NIL deals, name, image, and likeness, uh, that the college athletes are now allowed to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. We've seen so many of these deals in kind of college sports and old white dudes going crazy, old white media sports writers talking about this. It's professional sports. It's always always has been. Uh, it has been for such a long time. Um, but players are starting to understand, college players, players younger and younger, start to understand that they have monetary value. And I think that is so dope. And I think this is one of those things where the NWSL, this, ever been telling this league, you have to lead. This is a global sport. This is a sport that's played everywhere. You have a chance with the U.S. Women's National Team and the popularity they get, World Cups they win. You have a chance to do something and really put, have the best women's league on the map for a long, 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 long time. Having a draft is not the way to do that. The draft is an antiquated thing. It's an unfair thing. It is not good. And once other global teams, you know, teams in Europe, teams all over the place get more funding, you are going to lose so much talent. And it's not just about losing it. It's about valuing your talent. 
And to me, what what's so dope about this and where I think the NWSL might have a problem is that I think a lot of players should take exactly this model. Go ahead. If you want to play, if you want to, want the option to stay in the NWSL, sure, register for the draft. You know, get drafted and then sur- survey your options. See who else do, who else wants me, what else can be worked out, what else is a good fit for me. Because the players no longer have the have to say, oh, I just got drafted to the pride. I have to play for the pride. Get all your options on the table and see what and see what's what and make the best decision for yourself to control your own career. And that's where I think that so many um so many players coming out are going to follow this exact same move. And I think the NWSL needs to be ready for it. And if they want to get ahead of it, or if they want to get to a point where they're better than that, what they need to do is make sure that they can compete on a financial level and just get rid of the draft altogether. I promise you, these owners have enough money. They can play, pay competitive wages because still, unfortunately, the money in women's soccer is a fraction of what it should be or could be. You can get in this game. I mean, what was Pernilla Harder's transfer fee was like 300,000 euro. Like that's to, to some of the, Michelle Kang must have bought spit for $35 million. Like, like the money is out there for <laughs> to be able to spend on these players. <laughs> exactly. Like the money is out there. So don't feel sorry for any of these owners. Like, how are they going to be able to do this? They're going to be fine. It's just going to be a matter of, do you actually want to invest in the team or not? And if you don't get out, sell to somebody else who will. Yeah, so really like, yeah, I'm, I'm here for this. I'm so here for this. Yeah. And the interesting thing about me official as well is that this is, I just like quickly, like, let's say over the past, what, two years, we've seen three, well, two, technically top five draft picks. We have me official, but we also have Deanne Rose going and playing in Reading. But yep. also one thing that I think about, and I will say I've been thinking about this a lot more because I've been watching a lot more Serie A. Um, is Julia Grosso like? Yeah, yeah. But also thinking like like Julia Grosso, uh, for y'all who don't know, like decided not to go for the NWSL draft and is now playing for Juventus. Um, mm-hmm. which I have separate feelings about because of my feelings at Juventus, but not going there. <laughs> <laughs> but also thinking about uh, like Jesse Fleming. Like I know like we like that is like she plays for Chelsea, but came through the UCLA system. Like I think a lot of um college play and like and i think one thing that helps besides just general visibility um one thing that helps is also like college players really now knowing that they have other options because i think before it was like i don't know what my wages are going to be i don't know if the facilities are going to be good i mean i know for example for arsenal and chelsea like the men's and women's teams share their training facilities but i remember when alex like news reports coming out that alex morgan uh and I will give her uh, kudos for this. Basically, yelling at Tottenham to make their women's facilities better. She's like, "I'm a two-time yeah. World Cup winner. I'm not playing <laughs> with these facilities." <laughs> like, um, but I mean, that's like that is still a reality for so many, like so many players around the world. Um, and taking a quick a quick pit stop, Andre, the FIFA Best Eleven came out, mm. and it was very much giving. 2011 meets 2015. <laughs> uh, but a lot, a lot of questions about it. But the interesting thing about the FIFA Best 11, as opposed to, let's say, for example, like uh, your best player award, so like your best midfielder, your overall best player, best goalkeeper, all these things. This list for the Best 11 was voted only by players. A little less than 3,700 players voted on this 11. and 
a lot of people were right like i want to say a lot of fans were very mad right like kind of rightfully so you were like what the fuck is this who like what like what journalist what person who doesn't watch women's soccer is coming out voting for this team right uh and then you learn that it's uh the players who vote for it and you're like huh now i'm even more confused so andre we've seen this problem how would you fix it well i do believe that players should have a voice but i also think that it is a lot to ask players to research all of the players in the world and and i say this because it doesn't make any sense that alexia pateas was not on the list like so many of those players know how good she is why she didn't make it is confusing but honestly i really think it's because they don't have time to do it that's way too many players to be involved. I don't know if they need to like shrink the committee of players massively, work with them to get all the research across the different leagues. If they're like super interested in putting together a player award that means something, I think that that's one way they could go. But just looking at it, you can tell it was it was so much name recognition, so much name recognition. I mean, it didn't make any sense. I love Marta, but Marta was there. You know, Carly Lloyd was on there. Alex Morgan was on there. You know, players who like missed good vast chunks of the season were on there and it's just like what how does this Wendy Renard and Lucy Bronze too yeah like Lucy Bronze I don't just like she hasn't been playing she like she's been injured like I there's so many of these things that were just so so ridiculous and 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 the thing that you know about all of these awards that is so so important is that these things matter they make they they actually do matter because it's about who gets watched, you know, who is somebody who's like, you know, you see Alexia Pateas getting so many, you know, awards and all of a sudden somebody might be like, hey, I don't really know her. I need to go watch her. So there's like a line, right, where you have play, you have a list of something that you're calling the best and you want it to be close enough to where there's some areas for play for people to argue because there are always going to be areas to argue. But when it's just like straight up ridiculous and wrong, that's what you can't have. Because that goes out of the realm of like clickbait to just misinformation. Right. And one thing that I've been thinking about as well, too, and this is like something that I was kind of cranky about. And and this is like really shows to me like one of the big differences between the men's and the women's game. Because with the men's game, like it is still so, so centered just generally around Europe and the Champions League and players on the teams. Um like players on the biggest teams in Europe. And, but I also feel like a really big difference of that is as well with so many of these players who are voting is that they're still also like all going to tune into the Champions League on the men's side, right? Like for the players who are not playing in them, let's say, um, but are like European based, like the, I feel like that is still naturally going to happen on the men's side, but on the women's side, like, besides the fact of trying to find 17 different streams, all these things. Um, but also on the men's side, like they don't necessarily have to, and this is like no shade to the MLS, but like they don't have to compete really with a lot of like teams and leagues and other time zones because at, yeah. at the end of the day on the men's side of like the way things are run right now is like everyone wants to go and get to Europe and play in the Champions League. And so when that's like your goal, of course you're going to tune in and do all those things. But on the women's side, like the, like the leagues and, are just so different um but also one thing that was that made me really really frustrated is i really felt like and like let's say you're like all right you're super busy for a lot of these like i bet for a lot of these players i would argue let's say almost 3700 um voted i would argue that 
I'll be optimistic and I'll say that 1,000 of them are full-time professionals. I'll, that, that'll be 1,000 or let's say like 1,200 are full-time professionals. The majority of like women's soccer players are honestly part-time athletes. Like I remember two years ago in the women's champions league, I can't remember the name of the team off the top of my head, but literally a team that got to the, <laughs> got to the uh, quarterfinal where they were part-time players. Like that was not their full job. They were not paying wages, all these things. So I do think for the, on the women's side, it is a lot of pressure to put on these players who for the most part aren't even full-time professional soccer players because they have to have other jobs and all these other things um, to make ends meet to try to watch all these games. But also I'm thinking, okay, if they have everyone vote, but let's say not everyone votes and they just release that first list of 23, that first list of 23 was a mess. We talked about that on like an early, early, like a podcast episode from like a wild long time ago that they were not included in the right, like the fact that like Carly Lloyd and Pino and Alex Morgan on this list is like, why you guys aren't act like, tell me you're not watching soccer, like when you're not watching soccer, like, and so for me, I think that's the most frustrating part until the women's game gets fully professionalized, or at least if you have, let's say, 3000 out of the 3700 athletes are full time professionals, like, I don't know, to me, there needs to be like, there needs to be some structures or something around it to make sure that you aren't having basically this problem happen again, where you have your top three players who are being voted on best player of the year for FIFA not making it into your best 11. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just, like, foolish. And you're having players who people just know from name recognition. But, like, heck, Alex Morgan was so injured. Wendy Renard, I mean, Wendy was truly so injured. Like, uh, and so was Lucy Bronze. And you had none of the Canada World Cup winnings that, like, none of Barcelona, like, all these things where it's, like, literally who was making these lists. Like, to me, there needs to be there needs to be a lot more work done from like an a top down sense on the women's side of being like better education on how to watch game, like all these things if they want to keep it with the current system that they have. Well, moving on, we're gonna do uh, a little bit of rapid fire because we're going a little bit long here. Uh, so Andre, quickly predictions for the women's Champions League final and semifinals. Oh my heavens. <laughs> Okay. We are jumping around here. We're about to start pedaling to the metal. Okay, I'll go All first. Right. Um, oh, you're going first? Yes, please. Thank you. I'll go first. I'll make life easy. Um, I think for the semifinals that it's going to be um, Bayern versus PS... Or, sorry. It, and one le- or one semifinal is going to be Lyon versus Bayern. I think they're just going to do it. Like I think Bayern are just going to beat PSG, unfortunately. I hope they don't, but sometimes defense... That little exodus from last year, I think it might be catching up with them a little bit uh, on the PSG side. And then uh, on the other half of the bracket, I think it's going to be Barcelona versus Wolfsburg. And then the final will be Barcelona versus Lyon. You know, I, I'm kind of with you on that, actually. I think I, I do think it's going to be Barcelona getting by Real Madrid. That seems to be pretty odd. That Barcelona team is rough, even though, you know, it took a stoppage time winner from Pateas. Hey, there she is again. Uh, to get by Real Madrid in the in the in the cup, uh, their domestic cup today. But yeah, that that Barcelona team is still scary. I definitely think Wolfsburg is getting by Arsenal. Arsenal are in some terrible form right now. They're by they're quite lucky they don't have to play this tie uh, until until late late March too. So like they're real lucky because their form right now they get smashed just like we did. Uh, moving on, Lyon's uh, <laughs> definitely going to beat Juventus. I think PSG is going to beat Bayern. So. Mm. 
I got I got Leon and PSG again. That's gonna be fun. And I got Barcelona and Wolfsburg, and I'm gonna go with Barcelona, Leon, and it's gonna be Barcelona again. I I'm trying to think of what no Leon has has they haven't really done anything. Leon for me has just lost too many of the players that you can't lose. Like Amel Majri, like that she was playing so well and she's so dynamic, and that link up with Macario was so dope. And yeah. so like I think that it could have been something, right? If they if if that wouldn't have happened, but they just had too many injuries that they're gonna have to overcome and they're not but, going to be able to because it's long term injuries. So But now you have Ada Heckerberg back. You do. And you now have Morrow back. Yes. I mean that, and Eugenie. that helps. That definitely helps, but I still think that Barcelona team is a monster. I don't see them losing until they get either they get pulled apart or some other teams are able to recruit on a level where they can compete with them. And I think Leon tried over the summer and they got really close. Unfortunately, injuries kind of keep, are keeping them from being as talented, I think. But yeah, I'm I'm still seeing. I'm still I'm, y- y'all know me. I'm shook at that Barcelona team. I'm always going to choose them. I'm not I'm not going to select against them. They scare me. It's going to be hard. But so the podcast when this when this happens stays interesting. I actually think you might be able to have Leon if they decide to hit them on the counter, which I know they probably can do. Because I'm thinking I just like my brain went back to PSG Leon or sorry PSG Barca. And besides the PSG coach being foolish and not playing Alana Cookmore, um, there were moments where it was like mm, this is like a lot more even than I think it's going to be. But I also think. By the time that this final happens, honestly, Barcelona is going to have so much wear in their legs because they I feel like they're playing once every two and a half days. That's true. And I feel like that might one time catch up with them. But I don't know. Um, but, you know, could be fun. Could be a good time. And staying on Europe. All right. Sorry. Kind of staying on Europe. Andre, a really interesting question that I have. And this is actually going to be kind of a two-part question because they're basically two sides of the same point. How do you think, let's say, a mid-table team out of Europe? So let's say, let's pull a Real Madrid. Let's pull a, before Brighton's little skid, a Brighton. Um, how they would do in the NWSL? Do you think they'd, and this is like general, right? Talking generally here. Do you think they'd still be kind of mid-pack? Would, do you think they would really like contend for a t- uh for the nwsl shield and win a championship or do you think the transitional nature of the game will just leave them for dead oh uh, the last one uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the 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 nwsl style is just so different and i don't think those teams are talented enough yet to be able to impose a different style of play or to be able to keep up with the current nwsl style of play so I and and that's the thing with such a small league, top to bottom, the NWSL is scary. Um, it's kind of scary to play. Um, you know, there there were you know two outright pretty bad teams, uh, in you know Rossing Louisville and KC. But they well at least KC is really leveled up. Um, we'll see what Rossing Louisville ends up doing. But they did get Jess McDonald. So like yeah, that that to me, I think the problem will be a. Uh, uh, <laughs> I know preseason tournaments don't mean anything, you know, preseason for Europe and, you know, the ICC and, of course, the Women's Cup. We saw, you know, some big teams come over here and play. Genuinely, I really, really do think that it is such a shock to a lot of European teams when they play an NWSL team, just how much everybody runs at you. 
you don't get time on the ball. You don't just, you can't recycle it along your back line. They are going to run at you all the time. <laughs> By the time you release a pass, whoever's receiving it is having somebody run at them. Like the athleticism in the NWSL is on another level. It's wild. So like teams would need to be quite talented, more talented than they are right now to cope with that. They got there, then yeah, I could see them still being mid-table or if the NWSL you know, adds more teams and ends up having a more of a, you know, regular size, you know, European type size uh, first division, um, th then maybe you see it kind of the, the talent spread out a bit. And so maybe that changes things top to bottom. But as it stands right now, every single team is just frustrating to play against if you're trying to dictate kind of a European pace of play. And it takes quite the adjustment. And I don't think uh, Brighton, Reading, Real Madrid would be prepared for it. Yeah, I agree. I think the only teams that would maybe be more prepared are like, you know, are the current leaders of a lot of the leagues in Europe. Like, I think, I mean, it'd be fun to see it. And this is, um, you know, like seeing how they would fare. But I do think the transitional nature of the style of play in the NWSL, which I can't lie, I don't 100% really think is going to like fun, like as a like league wide fundamentally change a lot. Um, yeah, I agree. I think like the first two months, also with like travel as well, you know, six hour plane rides from yeah. New York to Los Angeles. Like, yep, yep. Uh, I think it would really be a big transition for um, many of these teams. Um, but kind of flipping the question on its head, let's say the the Spirit and Gotham go to the uh, FAWSL because why not? Let's dream for a little bit. <laughs> How do you think they would do? Oh, that's an interesting one. That's actually more interesting to me than the other way around. Because um, I would like to see how teams would would play them, um, what they would do to frustrate them, especially a lot of the the mid mid kind of table, lower table teams, because they would just pack it in. And I don't think uh, like nobody plays like a, a bank of four in the NWSL. Like you don't see that. You don't see two banks of four in the NWSL when, when teams just kind of hunker down and protect, just like fill their their penalty area with as many bodies as they can. You don't ever see that in the NWSL. So I think that would be kind of a shock and be a frustrating thing. But I think that the Spirit and Gotham would be good enough to be Champions League spots. I would love to see like Spirit or Gotham against Chelsea. I think that would be very interesting, especially as Chelsea like to run and break as well. So that would be very interesting to see if they could pick the ball off and, and counter the other way. Um, but yeah, I think they would still have too much talent. Uh, both of those NWSL squads would have too much talent to, to be like floundering mid-table. I think they'd definitely be in the top part of the table. Yeah, when this question got sent into us, I was really, really interested thinking about how teams would do because it really is that like <laughs> the the shift in the style of play like will really really get you but I also am curious like if like let's say every NWSL team had the same facilities and quote-unquote support as like a Chelsea and an Arsenal but like with their squad that they had now like <laughs> I don't know I can't help but think that like they would really not like this current spirit squad would like really dominate but i was thinking times like gotham as well would dominate or like angel city like i mean we obviously haven't seen them play but knowing what type of players they're bringing in like is i mean it's a really good thought experience but i do think like i don't know kind of in the and i i don't like saying this but in the same way of 
when European players like just kind of talk about the NWSL and it being super physical, but also just like very, very gritty and stuff like that. Like seeing that translated on another, uh, in another country would be a lot of fun to see. But yeah, I agree. I do, <laughs> I do think they would. Um, I don't know. Think about Trinity Rodman's nutmegs. She would just tear some people apart. <laughs> I was just would... about to say, I can tell you <laughs> one thing I don't want to see ever is Trinity Rodman running at Millie Bright. No, thank Oh my you. God. <laughs> God. I don't want to see that in my life. <laughs> I don't want to see that at all. My heart would drop into my shoes. I don't need to see that. Oh, that is um <laughs> that's uh that's genuinely terrifying. I think Trinity Rodman or like Midge, like running at any defense would just yeah. be whew, they wow, wouldn't know what, what to do with Midge. Yeah. Truly, what a time to be alive is what I'll say. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Um, all right. This is now kind of combining both questions. CONCACAF Champions League. This is not actually combining both questions, but the next <laughs> question following is, which is we're going to talk about Club World Cup again. But when are we going to get CONCACAF Champions League for the women? What do you want that tournament maybe to look like? And finally, will that pave the way for Women's Club World Cup? Ooh. Will it pave the way to the Club World Cup? I'll start with that one first. It better. I don't care what paves the way to a Club World Cup. We need it. That's it's just just we need it. I, I think I've seen some some uh, some proposals for some some people on Twitter where it would be perfect to do it right at the end of like the NWSL season uh, because that would be the end of the um or well, not the be- the beginning of the NWSL season, the end of the um, European seasons. I think you could do it all within like one month, you know, of a tournament, you know, you have teams qualify and all that business, I think it would be extremely dope. But in terms of taking it back to CONCACAF Champions League, I hope we get that soon uh, because I, I really want to see, you know, we, we've we seen and we've been, you know, tweeting about it and, and talking about it. You know, Liga MX Femenil has been like a big league to come up. I know that Canada has been trying to get their own league They've kind of struggled a bit with getting a professional or semi-pro league. How is it going to be? How are they going to do it? I haven't done a ton of reading on what the new proposal is, but I've seen some some criticisms of it uh, from players as well. So I'm hoping that they're able to get that working well uh, so that they can continue. I mean, they just want a gold medal. Like, come on now. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. So, so yeah, I, I think it would be exceptional to have one of these. I would love to see it because um, to me, it's not necessarily about the NWSL. To me, it's about all the other leagues that aren't that don't go uh, with as much funding as they need, don't have as many resources, players don't have the exposure that they need. You know, I, I think all of that, and and there are ways to build all of that without a World Cup. Yeah, this is. I unfortunately going to damper the mood a little bit. I don't necessarily think a Concacaf Champions League will <sighs> happen. Unfortunately, <laughs> this doesn't mean there's not a way for to have Concacaf represented in a club world cup but i think right now like just infrastructure wise it's not there like especially thinking about all the nations and like i mean i will say i do because of the nature of my job i now know a lot more about Concacaf than i did before (laughs) um but just like member nations not having women's leagues like all this stuff i don't think the Concacaf champions league will happen yet until the other infrastructure is built up but I do think something that could be fun instead of like, and now not Champions League with like group stages, all this stuff. I do think like a sort of play in tournament between, at least for right now, uh, like for leagues that are up functioning, thriving, 
not that this is necessarily driving, but I digress. Um, of having like a plan tournament between the MXE Femenil and the NWSL to like get a Club World Cup spot because I will say for CONMEBOL, which is Argentina, Brazil, South um South America, they do on the women's side, even though it's not like funded nearly as much as the men's side, they do have, you know, Copa Libertadores, like they have a little more of that infrastructure there where they could just like have and like kind of on the exact same on the men's side of like the someone correct me if I'm wrong, but if, if I'm remembering correctly, the winner of the Copa Libertadores on the men's side gets pushed to the Club World Cup. So I do think it's possible. And then but the thing is what I really want, and I want this to be like a true Club World Cup. Like I don't want two teams from Europe and like I don't know, a team from CONCACAF and like a team from Comebol. Like I want this to be actual, like actually global. So like bring in a team from the Chinese league or the Korean league, like those, like those opportunities are there. And I think it could be really, like it could be a really, really sick tournament. And I think um, unlike, let's say maybe parts of the men's game that the styles and uh, the styles of play across the globe in the women's game is, are so vast and so different that like it would really, really be a lot of fun to see um, like these different styles play up. Like I would love to see Leon play Tigres. Like that's just going to be fun. Unless Sarah V's in goal, which means they just throw <laughs> the ball on the forehead and strike from distance. But, you know, there are, there's so much good opportunity. I really want a Club World Cup to happen and for it to find a way to ha- find it somewhere mid-season. Maybe, like, during, like, a January, February international break, I think it'd be, like, a lot of fun. Yeah, I think you're right. I think doing a mini turn, like obviously, like right now, the infrastructure is not there to do it fully on. So I, I, I was kind of dreaming <laughs> quite a bit. Uh, but you know, I, I do, I do think it is smart to start small and then build it so that others can kind of see, you know, and say, hey, we want to get in on that. You know, we want to. What do we have to do to be able to get included in this? So yeah, I think you do have to do that, and and then hopefully. I like your idea, you know, of bringing in, you know, players, you know, teams from Asia and everything and trying to see like putting together a big like international tournament. I, I honestly think it's going to take something like that that forces them, people, somebody to take over and say, hey, OK, let's just go ahead and do like put everybody in it. Now we're going to do a Club World Cup for real, for real. Uh, and I think it is going to be something that starts small and gets a lot of traction because it's new and dope and awesome. And they're going to try and make it bigger because they're going to see the dollars and all of that, because that's what we need. Once once people right. understand there's money to be made, then then they make smart decisions instead of seeing it and being like, oh, this could be a very profitable idea. Uh, apparently, they need to see it first. Like, let me see Barbara Branda go run on that Barcelona back line. I just want to see some. Like, let, oh, let, Lord. Like, let's, just, <laughs> like, let's see it. Like, let's see Barbara Branda run an NWSL back line. Yeah, I was going to say, let's see her run at the Red Stars back line or something. Like, let's go. You know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, yeah, let's let's see. Barbara Bandit was tearing up teams in the Olympics. So, yeah, absolutely. Let's see that. Yeah, so I think it could be really, really fun. Um, and I know we are running, which is why we're going to wrap up with one last question. Thinking about the future of the NWSL, let's say, and Andre, Oof. I'm dreaming big here. Okay. Let's say another California team comes in the mix. Okay. And I'm just going to what's the region in California? Let's say the Bay Area. Okay. Let's say there's like a Bay Area team. Um, comes Oakland into the Roots, mix. let's go. Oakland Roots, let's go. With the possibility of also bringing back the Royal. Yeah. What, and let's say this happens in the next year, because we're driven big here. <laughs> we have, we have uh, Starry Night glasses on. What do we think about NWSL expansion three years in a row? Is it a good sign? Is it maybe 
growing a little bit too fast. We need to put some, some like, uh, some speed bumps <laughs> on the road to like slow it down a little bit. What do you think? Well, that depends on decisions that are made before the season, right? Well, right now in preseason, before the season, during the season, and all of that. A healthy NWSL that is trying to support its players, promote players, pay its players well. Um, yes, I think you can expand this and you can turn this into a very... I, I don't want the number of teams that like MLS has. Like I, That's just absolutely ridiculous to have that many teams in one no league. Yeah, that, that's that's absurd. But I do think that like there, there will be 12 next season or then the 2022 season. I think you can absolutely get that up to... Uh, 16, 18 uh, is kind of like a final, you know, uh, point where you want to have it. And I think there's absolutely enough talent here and around the globe to be able to bring it in. But obviously it all depends on what they want, what owners want. Do they want to continue to just be what they are and act like everybody's just going to keep supporting them if they don't make any substantial changes to the way that they do things and they continue to harm players? If that's the case, don't like the league just going to implode on its own. But if it's healthy, if it if it takes steps to write a lot of these, if and I'll say this for the expansion, what teams they need to find a better system. I think Angel City and San Diego. <laughs> yeah, I think Angel City and San Diego showed that you know what? If you put money, if you invest, you can you can build your own team by making different trades and different deals with other teams in order to be able to get players that want to come instead of having an expansion draft. I don't think you need an expansion draft, so I would want to see the expansion draft go. So, like to me, it's like, yeah, I would love expansion if 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 if. And I don't know how many of those ifs this version of the NWSL is ready to meet. Probably none of them. Yeah, for me, it's like expansion is really really exciting in theory. In practice. I think it's at least the way the NWSL is running it now is a mess. Like we don't even have, and I was actually going to end this uh, with a funny question of when are we getting the schedule? But like right now we can't even conceive of when the NWSL schedule is coming out, like for the next season and preseason starts in less than two weeks is February 1st. And yet we don't have, like, there's no schedule out. I think the NWSL really needs to get its ducks in a row before expanding anymore. Because one thing that I can't lie in the back of my head, and maybe this is like so pessimistic of me, but I think when like we have already seen that there are there were bad actors in the league, and so one thing that I like in the back of my brain gives me a lot of pause is like the NWSL, you know, breaking all these records and growing so quickly and all that stuff. And it's not necessarily a in terms of sustainability, because if people want to sustain the league, they'll sustain the league. They sustained the NBA and NFL for years and years and years while all these teams were losing bajillions of dollars. If they want to sustain the league, they'll sustain the league. So that like isn't necessarily now like, will that happen at the end of the show? We don't know. But like the actual sustainability thing isn't super, like doesn't make me super nervous. What does make me super ner- nervous is the league growing so rapidly that that due diligence that wasn't necessarily done last time still won't continue. And I also think about the process of expansion in the league and like expansion drafts and just how much uncertainty that puts on the players. If we're being honest, like, yeah, it's maybe sometimes like maybe some of the teams, if you're having, you know, coaches leave or stuff like that, but you know, that can kind of happen at any time, but 
the, also that uncertainty with the players because the NWSL and to be fair, kind of American sports um, is really different in that regard with especially no promotion and relegation like when Leicester City, and that's just the team I thought of off the top of my head, when Leicester City went up to the WSL top flight, like there was no huge shakeup. It was like, oh, we have the core of our team and we might get some new people and some people might leave, but for the most part, we're it's going to be the same. And if and when another team goes down, it's going to be about the same. But this idea of expansion, and we also saw, you know, the flip side of it, thinking about Boston Breakers, and this wasn't officially in the same way, but even with Utah, of like team getting sold, team needing to fold, like players getting moved around again, like that uncertainty is like to me that's like it's such a big part of expansion, and it's like there needs to be stop gaps in place so that doesn't happen, and maybe with like this new. USL system that's coming up the USLW league like there will maybe be partnerships between teams and all these other things so that way maybe there's like a lot less uncertainty for the players but between that and the league maybe growing too quickly and not doing the due diligence I am cautiously optimistic yeah I think that's absolutely fair and a good way to put it like the league can be what it wants to be if it wants to continue to be trash it can do that as well just saying uh, I wouldn't choose that option it ain't going to be profitable. It ain't going to go well because it ain't going well right now. So if it wants to be better, this can be the best league in the entire world uh, for years to come. And it can absolutely be that. It can be that. This is the frustrating thing about all of this is that there is like every single, not just me or not a, like every single diehard women's soccer fan in this country can tell, can give you a roadmap of how this team, how the, how this league can be so much better. And I know people in front offices know this. Some of them are dumb, but they're not that dumb. <laughs> so like, I just, I know that they also know this and it all comes down to what's more important to them. They have answered that question in the worst way for years. They want to answer it a different way. People are ready and actually people are demanding it. They want to keep answering it the way they've been answering it. It ain't going to go well. But I am the potential of this league is so fun. So like thinking about it is so dope. It is so, so fun. Like last season, as hard as it was, it was still a very good season. The, the players more than did their part. I just can't keep asking them to do stuff like this, to perform under all this bullshit. You can't keep asking them to do that because I will, listen, I will root for Trinity Robin just as hard if she's with trying to think of a European team I don't hate. <laughs> I, I, I'll root for her. I, well, I didn't want to go the obvious route. Like, obviously, <laughs> I want to see her at Chelsea. But I'll root, you know, put her on PSG, put, put her on, you know, I, even Real Madrid, you know, if they build up their squad. Like, I, I will root for her just as hard. Put in the get Chivas, let's go. Like, I don't, whatever. <laughs> I will root for her so hard, whatever continent she's on. NWSL does not have a entitlement to our best players. They've acted like they did, and that's been the problem. They actually value the players. We'll see changes. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and last question. We've definitely gone over 15. We have like 15 <laughs> like frameworks of questions. Uh, Andre, when do you think we're getting the schedule? Oh God. Um, let me uh let me let me hit up Meg real quick and I'll get you, I'll get back to you with the answer. <laughs> All right, that has been it for this episode of Death for United. I know we went a little bit long, but you all you all haven't heard from us from a few weeks. We've been, let's say, booked and busy. Facts. Booked and busy. 
So thanks so much for listening to this episode of Dads Reunited. We'll see you next time. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to Diaspora United podcast. Please subscribe and rate and review us anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Diaspora United Pod. That's Diaspora UTD POD. And message us if there's anything you want us to talk about in our next podcast. See you next time.